Section 9 of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6 Cook's First Voyage, Part 1. We have now cleared the way for a right understanding of Cook's voyages and the results. We have seen the Pacific Ocean at first, a great black sheet, streaked with thin belts of light as one voyager after the other ventured across on the north of the equator along the parallel of thirteen degrees north there is a broad belt this is the highway between panama and manila in spite of many voyages there is still little light upon the central and south pacific by far the greater part of the ocean is covered with thick darkness in considering these expeditions one is faced by certain difficulties which do not apply to the earlier voyages it is that they belong almost to our own time that their history has been narrated over and over again every boy has read cook's voyages not only every library but almost every house with a row of bookshelves contains some account of them there are cheap and popular editions there are illustrated editions they have been abridged condensed and castigated for the use of the young they have served for lectures illustrated by the magic lantern they are known in scraps by everybody that is to say though few of us would sit down to pass an examination on the subject we all know in general terms that cook surveyed the coasts of new zealand and new holland penetrated the southern ocean traversed the pacific in every direction and was finally murdered at the island which some of us still faithful to tradition call owyhee again all the anecdotes the interesting facts the dramatic bits have long since been picked out over and over again so that they cannot be reproduced with the slightest show of freshness cook is not yet so old that like dampier and shelvick only historical geographers and the people who read everything know him nor is he still so young that his achievements may bear another description by a new hand he is again not yet so old but that men are still living who have conversed with survivors of the crews of wallace carteret and cook a man of five-and-twenty on board the endeavour in seventeen sixty eight would be no more than seventy-seven in eighteen twenty a man of five-and-twenty on board the resolution in seventeen seventy nine might live to reach eighty-six in 1840. There are among us some who can still remember the year 1820, and many who can remember the year 1840. It is indeed wonderful how far back one can reach in this way. It is not very long since some of Nelson's old tar still lingered, and lightened the tedium of time spent in sitting on a bench in the common hard, above the logs, by telling over again the story of the battles they had fought, and the victories they had won nay there might have been among them perchance as late as eighteen fifty some more aged man who had witnessed from the boats of the resolution the murder on the beach of owyhee there may have been a solitary survivor or two of that tragedy lingering on in their nineties and as to grandsons of those hardy mariners there are many still living though unfortunately none of the great captain himself considering this difficulty therefore it will be prudent not to follow each of these voyages in detail seeing that to do so would be to present a tale ten times told already 
but to draw up a skeleton route or course of each in turn with such illustrations as may be gathered not so much from the official journals and descriptions which have been used over and over again but from such other contemporary documents as are not generally known or are not easily accessible and especially such illustrations as serve to show the personal character of the commander himself and the kind of company which manned his ships as for the places which he visited and the people whom he brought to light are they not described already in the books we are not here considering the manners and customs of the polynesians their origin language religion folklore and relationships do not concern us the royal society discovering that there would happen a transit of venus in the year seventeen sixty nine and that this interesting astronomical event would be best observed from some place in the pacific ocean drew up a memorial to the king praying that an expedition might be sent out with that object they proposed as the most convenient station of any then known the islands of rotterdam amsterdam or the marquesas the memorial was favourably received and the king consented to grant a ship properly provisioned and equipped to carry out any scientific observer who should be appointed by the society mr alexander dalrymple a well-known student and writer on geography and fellow of the society was at first proposed as the commander of the scientific expedition he consented to go thinking that he should not only lead the scientific party but would also command the ship as had been done on a previous occasion when dr halley for scientific purposes was put in command of a ship with brevet rank as captain but the admiralty also bearing in mind the example of dr halley and its results in mutiny and disorders refused absolutely to put another landsman with no knowledge whatever of discipline in command of a ship on so long a voyage the results would certainly be far worse than on that occasion sir edward hawke then at the head of the admiralty plainly declared that he would cut off his right hand rather than sign a commission for a person who is not a sailor then mr dalrymple first refused to go at all and then wanted to go and finally when it was too late seems to have sulked and ever afterwards complained that he had been badly treated by the admiralty they then cast about for an officer who could not only command the ship but also conduct the scientific purpose of the expedition no other man could be found than james cook master in the royal navy everything happened fortunately and opportunely for him he had just returned from the important post of surveyor of newfoundland and labrador he was therefore available and on the spot he had brought himself into great notice by his admirable charts and he was well recommended by every officer under whom he had served it is indeed most probable that no other officer in the navy possessed so much scientific knowledge as cook to have mastered the whole art of navigation with the methods and tactics of naval warfare in all its branches was then considered an education sufficient for the best and most ambitious officer yet one doubts whether cook would have received the appointment had either wallace or carteret returned in time their experience of the pacific would have outweighed cook's proved zeal intelligence and scientific attainments however cook was recommended by mr stevens secretary to the admiralty and no other officer seems to have been considered at all 
certainly the command of an expedition not warlike from which no glory of the usual kind could be obtained certain to be long and tedious and equally certain to be full of dangers and discomforts was not a post for which backstairs influence would be employed or favoritism brought into request cook accepted the offer eagerly and instantly it was indeed an enormous step upwards he was taken out of the master's line from which there was seldom any promotion possible and placed into the higher branch he received the rank of lieutenant in his introduction to the narrative of the second voyage cook explains what kind of ship is best for the successful conduct of such enterprises he says the success will more chiefly depend on the kind the size and the properties of the ships chosen for the service as the greatest danger to be apprehended and provided against on a voyage of discovery especially to the most distant parts of the globe is that of the ships being liable to be run aground on an unknown desert or perhaps savage coast so no consideration should be set in competition with that of her being of a construction of the safest kind in which the officers may with the least hazard venture upon a strange coast a ship of this kind must not be of a great draught of water yet of a sufficient burden and capacity to carry a proper quantity of provisions and necessaries for her complement of men and for the term requisite to perform the voyage she must also be of a construction that will bear to take the ground and of a size which in case of necessity may be safely and conveniently laid on shore to repair any accidental damage or defect these properties are not to be found in ships of war of forty guns nor in frigates nor in east india company ships nor in large three-decked west india ships nor indeed in any other but north country built ships as such as are built for the coal trade which are peculiarly adapted for this purpose after this expression of opinion written it is true after his experience on the first voyage it is not surprising to learn that his first ship the endeavour was in fact a collier built by his old friends of whitby a stout strong ship designed for safety in all weathers rather than for speed her like still sails between the northern ports and london she herself until a few years ago carried on at a very advanced age the trade for which she was originally constructed she was of three hundred and seventy tons the scientific party consisted of mr charles green one of the assistants to the astronomer royal joseph banks afterwards sir joseph a man of large private means and already of considerable scientific reputation dr solander one of the assistants of the british museum banks brought with him a naturalist mr sidney parkinson a draughtsman and others as assistants the endeavour's complement consisted of eighty-five men in all including the captain two lieutenants three midshipmen a master surgeon boatswain carpenter and the other petty officers with forty-one able seamen twelve marines and nine servants she took on board ten carriage and twelve swivel guns and was provisioned for eighteen months before the endeavour was fitted out captain wallace returned bringing the news of the discovery of otaheite george forster of the second voyage spells it otaheite which is nearer to its new name of tahiti 
and as the place seemed more convenient than the Marquesas for astronomical observation, it was determined that the transit should be observed from Otaheite. The endeavour was fitted in the basin of Deptford Dockyard, July 30, 1768. She sailed from Deptford, and on August 26, the wind being fair, she put to sea from Plymouth. The superstitious may remark that this most successful voyage of discovery was commenced on a Friday. The only account of the voyage is that published officially. Most unfortunately, it is not the work of Cook himself or of Banks, whose journals were extremely voluminous. It is a clumsy compilation by Dr. Hawksworth, into whose hands were placed all the journals, logs, and other papers connected with the voyages of Byron, Wallace, Carteret, and Cook the first voyage only of the last named. It was fondly thought that this writer, then a well-known littérateur, would be able to present the separate journals in a narrative possessing the graces of literary style. This the doctor undertook to do with the understanding that he was at liberty to decorate the naked narrative with remarks or sentiments of his own proper to the occasion. As the narrative is written in the first person, as if by the respective officers, whose names stand at the head of each history, the result is truly wonderful. It must be owned that the author of this literary job was careful to preserve every incident recorded in the journals, yet their mode of presentment robbed the journals entirely of the personal element, which is the chief charm in all books of travel wallace and carteret have disappeared altogether cook himself is invisible under the classic garments with which he is arrayed the sentiments it is true are beautiful there is a display of learning which makes the memory of the free love of whitby seem like a bad dream cook must surely have been wandering all these years on the banks of granta for instance how judicious is the rendering of such a simple incident as that described in the following passage the scene might possibly have become more curious and interesting if it had not suddenly been interrupted by an interlude of a more serious kind just at this time dr solander complained that his pockets had been picked of course captain cook in his culpable carelessness of style had made the simple entry solander had his pocket picked when we read of the poetical fables of arcadia of the famous purper of the ancients we feel the felicity of passing cook through a classical mill and what polite ear can endure to be told that the captain went about with the king when it is possible to say that the commander pursued his journey under the auspices of that potentate the ship's log again should be kept in balanced sentences witness the following which forms part of a classical account of a boxing match between two savages we observed with pleasure that the conqueror never exalted over the vanquished and that the vanquished never repined at the success of the conqueror and the following is a charming illustration of the lofty and refined level on which a sailor's log ought to be maintained it is scarcely possible for those who are acquainted with the athletic sports of remote antiquity not to remark a rude resemblance of them in this wrestling match among the natives of a little island in the midst of the pacific ocean and our female readers may recollect the account given of them by fenelon in his telemachus where though the events are fictitious 
the manners of the age are faithfully transcribed from authors by whom they are supposed to have been truly related all this written by captain cook in matavai bay after this it no longer surprises us to hear him reminding us how alien and apollonius rhodius impute a certain practice to the ancient inhabitants of colchis a country near pontus in asia now called mingralia End of section nine.